Welcome to episode six of the Connections podcast. I'm Giles Hegarty and I'm joined as always by my good friend Max Brown. Max, good evening. Good evening, mate. How you doing? Good. Better than you, I think. You're knee deep in exams at the moment. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, I'm excited for this one. Should be good. Yeah, me too. Um, We'll get straight into it. We are um, extremely fortunate to be joined by uh, the senior coach at Leinster, Stuart Lancaster, this evening. Um, Stuart, thanks ever so much for coming on. I uh, appreciate how busy you are You're in the middle of a of European Cup, uh, back-to-back games. Uh, making the time for us is absolutely fantastic. No, no problem. Happy to help. Um, as I was just saying offline there, you know, listen to a couple of your podcasts. So, um, yeah, no, happy to help you guys, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll dive straight in, Stuart. You, you've, um, we've crossed paths through, through rugby. Uh, I, I was very fortunate to come over and spend some time with you guys at Leinster a, a few years ago, goodness me, not a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. Uh, and also when, when Max and I were over with England, you came in and, and spoke to us as well, which was a fantastic uh, opportunity for the boys to meet you. Um, although, you know, rugby is the connection between us, it, it's not really what we're going to talk about today. Um, do you want to just give our listeners a, a little bit of a, a an idea of, of your story, what, how you've ended up in Leinster? Yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly. There's a fair, there's a fair bit. But, um, uh, I uh, went to a school, uh, a boarding school in West Cumbria called St. Bees um, and left there in 88. Uh, I went to university in Leeds where I did a sports science degree between 88 and 91 uh, and then did a PGCE the year after, uh, which led to... Well, my first teaching post actually was Heesham High School in Morecambe, and then I ended up at Kettlethorpe High School in um, Wakefield. Uh, so this is like during the 90s, really. Um, the game of rugby obviously went professional in 95. Uh, I was playing for uh, originally Wakefield, then Headingley, and then Headingley and Rande merged and formed Leeds. Uh, so I went from amateur to semi-professional, and I took a year out from teaching, went professional for a year. Um, and then in the year 2000, the RFU set up a series of um, academies within the country and you had to bid for this academy license and um, Leeds bid on behalf of Yorkshire and we were awarded the license uh, and I was appointed the academy manager 2000 till 2005. Um, during that time, I did my coaching qualifications, but I did my level five then as well, which was held at Ashridge Business School. So that was a really important marker really in my development um, because it obviously covered not just coaching but leadership and management as well. In uh, 2005 Phil Davis resigned, I took over as head coach after we've been relegated from the Premiership uh, and uh, we got promoted that year back into the Premiership from the Championship uh, and then that year in the Premiership um, it was tough you know we were we'd gone from winning lots of games to struggling in lots of games um, against the big guns and the RFU approached me if I would join the union as head of, of elite player development um, and Saxons coach. Well, I basically I persuaded them in the interview that I should have the, I could do the Saxons coaching as well. And um, so fortunately they went for it. Um, uh, you know, Kevin Byron sort of gave me a hand there and, and, and Rob Andrew on the interview panel. Um, but uh, so yes, that was an amazing opportunity then to, to develop myself in the next four years. And then 2011, Martin Johnson resigned as England uh, coach after the uh, World Cup um, and I did the interim job for Six Nations um, 2012. Um, so here we are on the cusp of Six Nations 2022, so 10 years ago um, and uh, I did that, um, got the head coaching job 
did it four years until the World Cup 2015 and then I left England in November 2015 and started Leinster uh, September 2016 on basically a, a one-year contract and here I am six years later, five years later. A couple of trophies in the cabinet to go with it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, been, no it's been a great, great move really um, and uh, uh, very lucky. Just, I've written down a question here, just thinking about what you were talking about. You've worked in, in so many different areas and a huge spectrum of personalities and the challenges that go with those personalities. How, how do you manage that? But, you know, you're in a, an environment like Leinster where you've got, you know, it is, it is high performance, as high as you can get without being international. How do you, how do you deal with that on a daily basis? Yeah, no, it's, um, it forces you to stay at the top of your game. I mean, if you can't see a Rama flat here, but if you could, um, you'd see about 60, 70 books um, that I would typically be reading. And I'd generally be trying to always stay at the top of my game because if you're not, you know, you say it's close to international, essentially there were 12 of the Leinster team that played against New Zealand. Um, so it's pretty much, you know, when you're coaching uh, the Leinster players, there's a lot of them who are British and Irish Lions already. Uh, a lot of them are, are serial international players for sure. So you have to be at the top of your game. And obviously the expectation of the club is that we were in the finals and we win things and you know, we want to do well in Europe. Um, so every day you have to be, you have to be at your best. And um, uh, I work hard in that regard. I love coaching. Um, I love um, planning and preparing sessions. I love trying to help the young players uh, as well. Um, I enjoy talking about leadership and trying to grow leaders within the team. Um, uh, Leo does a lot of the managerial stuff, Leo Cullen, and, and, and uh, obviously he's a great leader himself. So it's just a really sweet spot for me, you know, in terms of working on the areas that I'm really passionate about, which is coaching and leadership. As, as within, you, sorry, Max, go on. Within that high-performance kind of arena, pressure is obviously massive. Kind of, we spoke to Ollie Chesham a little bit about what he does in his games, but obviously you've had World Cup games, World Cup, qualifiers, European games, what kind of preparation or things do you put in place to kind of deal with that pressure? For me personally or for the team? Both. Um, well, I think, I think, I think from, a, from a team perspective, um, I'm, I'm very, um, very keen to get the players to understand the line between the quality of your practice and the outcome in your performance. So I try and relieve the pressure on the players when it comes to game time by convincing them that the practice that they've done and the quality of the sessions that we're doing and the, the challenges that I'm creating for them in training will come through in the games. And if they focus on doing their job that they've practiced so hard and under so much pressure um, on a weekly basis, then the results and the performance will look after itself. Um, so I try and mitigate the pressure on the players by getting them to focus on performance and, and relay that back to the practice. Um, I try and pass on what I've learned about um, uh, managing um, game day anxiety or game day pressure um, and also in-game pressure as well. You know, when, when something doesn't go well in a game and how can we stay on task and stay in the moment. Um, so I've definitely got better at that because, you know, I've got more experienced. You know, I think I've coached. But if you go back to 
you know, the academy job, you know, certainly um, 20 years now on the teaching side of things, which was the fundamental of coaching anyway, 30 years now. So there's a lot of experience I've gained uh, in that environment. In terms of my own personal um, management, um, uh, when you talk about international rugby, there's very little to prepare you before you go in to what it feels like to be the head coach of England when you're stood singing the national anthem at Twickenham with 80,000 people singing alongside you. And, you know, on, on some occasions in the Six Nations at that time when it was on terrestrial TV, you were talking 10 million people on TV watching and judging your team's every move. Um, I'm not sure how you prepare for that. Um, my personal um, strategy was to have a very, very calm and relaxed morning as, as, and, and as much time on my own as I possibly could, given the fact you're going to get pulled from pillar to post. Um, just to make sure I've thought through what, all the what-ifs and all the scenarios that could potentially occur so that I'm as prepared as possible for what's coming, what's coming ahead. You know what I mean? You very much go from the, um, the calm, the calm the storm to the eye of the storm within yeah. sometimes you know, an hour, really. You know, you're on the bus driving into Twickenham and suddenly, before you know it, you're, you're there in the middle of the game. Um, I've always been quite good at um, staying calm under pressure. Uh, I think I've, I've, um, some people would say, you know, I would give no emotion away, but I, I would, I would obviously show emotion, and I would, um, uh, I'd be, I'd be boiling and burning inside. But equally, um, I've never been one to show over the displays of emotion in front of um, the players because I think then it shows that I'm not really in control myself. I, I, do you know, I've never coached at, at, at that level, but I know how hard it was for Max and I in that, those test matches. So, uh, and uh, yeah, it, keeping yourself calm and trying to control those emotions, I think, is something that Ollie talked about. It's something that, very similar to you, Stuart, I would spend, try and spend as much time on my own, go for a walk or a run and, and get a brew and think through things because actually you need those moments of clarity for when the acid does come on, whatever, that, whatever form that, that takes. Um, your background has obviously been in education, education, coaching, teaching, coaching, very similar in my view. And I know there's a debate to be had about, about that. I'm sure I know some of my colleagues would want to debate that. How much of us really? Been... I, I mean, I can't, I can't think there's any debate. I, I would say, I would say they're one and the same, really. Yeah, I completely um, agree. Uh, I mean, the, the difference I found with teaching obviously is the difference you teaching a multitude of different sports and obviously teaching in, in, in my case, 11 to 16 year olds, mm. but they chat the planning of a session, the doing of a session, the reviewing of the session, um, the psychology of it, the step-by-step -step approach, you try and develop progression within a, in, a, in a group, whether it be a basketball lesson, a badminton lesson uh, or a Leinster session, it's the same, it's the same process. Um, you try and ultimately to help young people get better and develop, their skills and understanding of not just the sport, but what it takes to succeed in life and the challenges of life, you know? So it's, I'd say it's very similar. So that was going to be sort of my question, actually. Have you seen a shift towards more being people focused off field, off court, however you want to describe it, away from the detail of whatever the sport might be as, uh, over the last 30 years? Or is it always for you, has it always been, if I can develop the person and help them to develop those skills to manage the pressure or whatever it might be, then they'll be successful? Yeah, I, th I think um, I, I was very lucky in that I was taught how to teach by some great you know, educators 
um, who gave us some really strong fundamentals of how best to get the best out of um, the, ki the kids that you're teaching. Uh, and my teaching practices were, were challenging, um, uh, which was a good thing for me. Um, I failed actually more than I succeeded for, for sure. Uh, we did what was called micro teaching in, in 92, uh, where you were video teaching primary school kids and all your peers would be there um, sort of watching you and all the people on the course. Uh, you'd pick up all the little verbal tics and, and, and all, those, all those little things. So when I went into Kettlefop High School, for example, um, I was lucky to go into a really good PE department, you know, some very, very strong teachers, um, very good um, relationships with the pupils. In fact, I've rarely come across um, a teacher who's not, who's not been like that. Um, certainly within the, the departments I've worked in or the areas I've worked in, Hesham High School, Kettlebell High School, I'd say the same thing, you know, very people focused or pupil focused, you know, caring about the person as well as the, the activity that we're trying to teach. You know, and sometimes you're dealing with kids that have come from disadvantaged or poor backgrounds and, you know, they were the most successful stories sometimes, weren't they? The ones that you turned around from, from who were potentially going to be truanting and, and getting into trouble to get them on the straight and narrow and get them through, through their exams and, and, you know, onto hopefully a, a pathway into life. So if someone said to me now, you know, um, you can't coach, what would you do? I'd go back into teaching. Um, uh, and, and coaching for me has always been the same. In fact, I came across, um, it was only last week, I did my level five um, assignment on um, developing um, more cohesive teams and mentally stronger individuals within an academy environment in 2002. And with that, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd done a, I'd videoed a, a conversation I'd had with the academy players I had at the time with Leeds. Um, so this is now, this is virtually 20 years ago. And on the video, there's like Jordan Crane, Keenan Mile, um, Danny Kerr, uh, Rob Vickerman, uh, Phil Nielsen played for Leeds. You know, so some, some lads who went on to play top-end rugby. And the maturity of the conversation and the, the way in which we interacted as a group was really um, proud to watch it back now, 20 years later. So, no, I think the answer for me, certainly my style has always been the same, you know. It's people-focused uh, as well as, you know, outcome process and um, you know, deliver, delivering performance-focused. One of the, the challenges that I think we have now is is trying to, or you hear a lot about, is certainly trying to help people build their resilience. Um, it's not a, a new concept, but increasingly over the last tw two years with COVID, trying to help young people in particular build their, their resilience to come back from some of the challenges they've faced seems to be a real buzzword. How do you, how do you create an environment where it's okay for people to fail? You know, you, you obviously, you, you've talked there about at Leinster, you put people under massive amounts of pressure so that when they come to match day, they can function at the highest level to make good decisions and, and do their job. They're going to, they're going to fail. You just said that, you know, you failed yourself in your, your teaching journey. There, there are going to be players that are going to make mistakes in practice. How do you create that supporting in the supportive environment that allows them to feel safe to fail? Is it possible? To, I, I don't know if it's possible to do. Um, uh, yeah, well, no, I, I mean, it, you know, um, it, it is possible to do. I think one of the first things I did at Leinster was uh, talk about the lessons I'd learned from failing with England. Um, so showing 
vulnerability showing failure on my behalf. You know, I didn't wasn't I wasn't trying to show them I was like invincible and I'd come in with all the answers. Um, you know, it was extremely tough time. And um, you know, I'd coached against a lot of the lads I was now coaching. I coached against a lot of the Irish lads and we'd won a couple of games, we'd also lost a couple of games against Ireland. So they knew me, but they only probably knew the the media side of me, uh, or the perception of me. You know, they didn't know the real me. So I think it was important for me to show the real me early. Um, and uh, to do that, I decided to open up and, and share and share what what had happened you know, in my time, not just with England, but you know during my time you know, with Leeds or wherever. Um, so I think that helps. I think you know showing if you're the leader, showing the fact that um, you have been through tough times, um, explaining that um, life has tough times. You know, I think one of the things sometimes that we we go through life, particularly young people go through life, you know, expecting it to be like this straight line upwards where um, you, nothing bad happens or nothing bad, you know, we sort, of, we, we sort of maybe give them, give people the illusion that it's all going to be rosy. Um, but like, it's, it, like, as I listened on your first podcast, um, you know, life is tough. Life is tough. And it is, but it's also great as well. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think explaining that the world, it's, it's the rocky road, isn't it? You know, it's the yeah. rocky road and the people that succeed in life are the ones who navigate the rocks the best and using stories like that and how we come back from adversity. I think when we, one of the most powerful ways is when you lose a game and you, um, you take it as a brilliant learning experience. You don't, you don't um, make it a negative experience. You make it a really great learning experience, but we also have a, a phrase that Leinster called sumo, shut up and move on. And we, we, we sumo, if we lose a game, a big game, and we've lost, you know, we lost the European Cup final against Saracens. We lost the European Cup semi-final this year, uh, last year against La Rochelle. We lost against Claremont, the European Cup semi-final. You know, we've had our fair, set, fair share of failure. Um, and um, we go through the review, but we're consistent. You know, I'm, I'm consistent in the review process in that we're going to learn whether we win or whether we lose. And, um, but we also, we can't drag around the defeat forever. You know, you can't, you have to, you have to let go of the failure um, because otherwise, you know, you, you've got this shadow or this weight on your shoulders that never seems to go away. It's easier said than done. You know, I still think obviously a lot about the World Cup in 2015. I think a lot about what if this, what if that, you know, if this had happened, um, because I don't think it gets much bigger than that for a coach, you know, mm. um, and uh but to show them I'd moved on and I'd sumoed and I'd, you know, um, come back and had a positive mindset to what was coming next in my life. Uh, hopefully role models to them, what they can do. But it's also identifying uh, the players that are maybe struggling, yeah. um, but they're hiding it a little bit. And it's, it's using your instincts and using your common sense, I think, in a lot of ways to, to think he's not been picked. He's been injured a while. Um, I know he's finding this tough. So I'm going to reach out to him and ask him if he wants a coffee. And I'm just going to create a conversation with him. And I think the art of good leadership is spotting those signs in people, even if there's no signs, anticipating where someone might be struggling and reaching out and trying to create a connection so that they can share. Because I'm a firm believer 
in a problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And I think a lot of um, uh, people, I'm not just saying young people, people in general will hide how they feel, uh, which is actually probably the most difficult thing to do, I think, or the most, most, most the hard, it, it, it's, it, it's difficult to do, and it's probably the worst you can do, you know, because actually sharing, I think, is the best thing you can do. Yeah, I think you've, <clears throat> I think you touched on so many things there. I think for me, kind of a uni student, that path you were talking about, that trajectory where everyone thinks is constant, I think pe people my age now are realizing it isn't. Um, and one of the things you touched on there that caught me was the media, the social media, because social media for, for my generation anyway is such a huge thing. People always looking at this ideal kind of lifestyle and something that's unattainable but how do you or how have you dealt with kind of the pressure of media the influence it has the criticism kind of how do you deal with that side of not even rugby just like your life kind of thing yeah yeah i mean i, I mean i'll i'll come back to the question marks one thing that struck me as well when i was listening to your uh, one of your podcasts was about like your your university's experience your university experience um, and um, I think the generation that you've been brought up in have it a lot tougher than we did, or certainly I did when I went to university. Um, my university experience was nothing really but positive um, because I was, I was on a course. We were together the whole time. It was a very small course. Um, we did activities together. We, we connected together. We are 30 year reunion, you know, we're still all good mates yet. Yeah. My daughter's just finished her course. Um, and I would say she knows very, very few people from a course. She knows people from the house she was in. She knows people from the the halls, potentially, she was in, and some from the hockey team. But that sort of connection and university, ours is very hands-on experience, um, where I get the sense that you guys tend to have it like a lot more disconnected, you know, or seminars and stuff. But I'll, I'll come, so maybe that's one for debating um, a bit further down the line in the conversation. In, in terms of the actual media stuff and, and the way in which people perceive you, um, yeah, it's tough. It, it, it is tough because everyone ultimately, you know, you don't want to give a bad impression to anyone of yourself, do you? you know, and you certainly don't want to have people talk negatively about you. So when it happens on a, <laughs> on a national scale, uh, it's, not, it's not a huge amount of fun. Um, my, my sort of um, mindset when I first took the England job was to um, be open and honest and transparent with the medium. The reason being because I wanted um, the armchair rugby fan to understand, you know, the real me as much as they could. Now, that, 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 it depends on the, the type of media we're talking about, you know. So if we're on a podcast now, people can listen to this and they can make their own judgments on, on me and, and you and Giles. Um, the majority of the media I did was either print, so I'll give an interview, it might be as long as we're talking now. They take out three snippets and create a story. Um, the radio would typically be two or three minutes, the TV might be probably even less than that. Um, pre match, post match interviews, etc. etc. So, you know, is a I always tried to be open and honest with the media, I tried to give them something, I tried to be insightful and. Uh, informative if I could um, and you know where possible I 
I, I, I trusted them, but ultimately the trust was sometime, sometimes backfired. You know, I did one or two uh, sessions where I tried to explain what we were doing. I did an off the record with all the journalists. It wasn't like I'm just picking my favourites here. I did it with all of them, you know, TV, whatever. Two or three times I did it. And um, so I was trying to educate them on how we were trying to play the game and give them a bit more insight. Um, and then obviously one of the journalists couldn't help but then broke the story and then, you know, all things, you know, changed on the back of that really. So um, when it came to the actual critical periods um, of success or failure, um, I tried to ultimately, again, be professional, to do my job um, and be open and honest and approachable and um, insightful and everything else. Um, but knew deep down that obviously the opinions were, were going to be varied between those who thought, yep, yeah, he's, he's done a decent job or others who thought, no, he needs to go. Um, how do you stop um, the damage for, from that happening to you personally and to your family? For me personally, I'm pretty disciplined at the, having the ability just to turn it off. Like, you know, turn off um, the, the me browsing an internet, me reading newspaper articles, me listening to what people have to say. Um, um, could, could I do that for my two kids? No. Could I do that for my wife? No. Could I do it for my parents? No. Um, and that's why sometimes I remember right at the end, I was thinking, geez, is this worth it? You know, the pain I'm causing to people who care about me. Um, so it's, it's not just you, you know, it's not just you. It's the, it's the people that support you as well. Um, that can be affected by it. So, um, my, my advice would be, um, where possible to live your life on um, genuine values and genuine friendships um, and people who care about you and invest your time and energy into those people um, because they're, they're the people you'll make the memories with and the, and the moments with. Um, if you live your life on social media, um, you run the risk of um, not building those memories and those moments with genuine people who care about you. And you run the risk of reading stuff that perhaps, you know, you shouldn't be reading, you know. So um, I'm not saying turn it off, but in my case, it was quite extreme example, but I would definitely dial it down if possible. Do you, is that something that you advocate to the players at, at Leinster? Not necessarily the season ones, but certainly the young guys coming through, trying to get them to understand that it is, it's about the people they're with there and then. I mean, I know that they're, Celebrity might not be the right word, but they, you know, they're, they're sports profiles. Yeah, yeah, the profile, yeah, they're, they're yeah. in profile position, and yeah, I mean, I think Ireland's quite different to England in that the media uh, coverage and narrative around the team, well, lens is generally positive. Um, it's a lot smaller in 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 volume and mm. intensity, um, but the players are very generally very grounded, you know lads who, who who wouldn't really get phased by by much much external stuff they love Leinster they love come to work they love the lads they, they they train with and they've got some great role models in there you know whether it's a Gary Ringrose a James Ryan a Johnny Sexton a Robbie Henshaw you know some great role models to learn from um, you know England is a different animal in terms of the sheer volume of you know you're talking about four million people to 64 million people for a start um, you know, so that 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 has a 
that has a bearing. But no, the lads, the lads at Leinster are, uh, are, are very good, um, and um, they know what what really matters because we talk about it all the time. Going back to your daughter, if we might, Stuart, you, you said there that she, the experience that she had at university was not was totally unlike what you had. I think I probably fell between both experiences in that, you know, I've got a very small group of friends that I have still from university, but there aren't, it wasn't that close knit. Most of my friends are based around the sport that I played. How has she come out of that experience? She's just, she's just finished her course. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's just finished. Um, and my son, Dan, is, you know, he's, he's playing, um, he's playing rugby, but he's, he's at Leeds Beckett as well, doing a sort of sports coaching degree. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess going back to my own personal experience, um, I didn't really appreciate when I was in that transition between school and university, how big a jump it was in terms of, like I, I, we were a small independent school on the west coast of Cumbria. I think there was a total of 400 pupils in the school from 11 to 18, you know, and when you're in those type of school environments and the school team, rugby team was successful, you know, I was captain of school, rugby team, head of school, all those sorts of things. And then suddenly, I remember, I never forget my dad driving me down to Leeds, dropping me off in the halls of residence, Carnegie Hall actually it was, and Beckett Park. And he drove off and I sat in this room on my own and thought, geez, I don't know anyone here. So I went down to the student bar and, you know, you try and socialise, but, you know, and I was lucky, I guess, in that I started playing rugby and I got, I got involved in the trials and everything else, but, it is tough, and that was tough. Like we're talking about eighty-eight here. Now, now you know you're talking. Um, I'm sure it's happened for many, many times for many people. Um, we were very lucky on our course. In the the first week, we went away in a residential um, to the Lake District, and we did like you know rock climbing and all those sorts of things. So very quickly established very close bonds with our, our, our and they're all like like-minded people on a sports science course. So um, I. I continued on the rugby, developed friendships there. Um, I just get the sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I just get the sense that university, um, COVID obviously clearly um, has been a major factor as well in terms of that social element that you go to university that can build those relationships, obviously got curtailed massively. You know, all the things you would normally do as students ha didn't happen for, what, 18 months really. Um, and Sophie actually, she did a study on that, you know, the effect of COVID on the mental health of students. Um, so for her, you know, she did a psychology um, degree. Um, but as I say, the lectures seemed far bigger in number, or the people on the course seemed far bigger in number, but far less uh, stuff done together, more seminar groups, um, less, less time together as a group and less less connection with people on your course and as I say then then you're into potluck aren't you you're on potluck if you end up in a halls of residence or in a house with people you actually get on with um and you've got a lot of time on your own I mean I, I my course was Monday Tuesday Monday nine till five Tuesday nine till five Wednesday morning Wednesday afternoon was rugby games Thursday lectures Friday lectures and my, lecture, my course was sort of le part lectures, part practical. So we were doing hockey or athletics or dance or gymnastics. And, you know, so, but I didn't have all this spare time, you know, that, that there seems to be uh, prevalent at universities now. So if you're, 
coming to a university and not knowing anyone, not knowing anyone in your course, and you've got a lot of time on your hands, I can see why it could be a real, a real challenge. You know, I, I live on my own here in Dublin. Um, my family live in Leeds. I spend a lot of time on my own. I'm 50 odd now, 52. And, you know, I'm not, I'm quite happy with my own company, but even there's times for me where I'm thinking, geez, this is, you know, tough. Yeah, I think you're right. There's, it's kind of been turned into a business. Um, there's no kind of, as you say, unless you land on your feet, there's no real connection. Um, there's a good 300 people on my course. You walk in, everyone's on their phones and <laughs> kind of you're all, you're all in your own little world. Um, you kind of touched on it there. I think something that we haven't, well, I haven't had at uni is balance. Kind of, we, we talked about it before um, recording, but that mental balance, that kind of balance in your life between your social life, your work life, kind of your high performance life. How do you, how do you sustain that you time, that balance between traveling to European games on a weekend and then coming back and then training and then not even in rugby, but just how do you find that golden zone of balance? Yeah, I think, I think um, someone described it to me as having like three glass balls um, that you're juggling all the time. And uh, one is your um, job or uh, for you, Max, it might be your studies, you know, being a, being a student or Giles, it's his, it's his job, you know, teaching. Uh, the second is your family and, you know, the, the, the close, call it be your brothers, sisters, your, your close friends, you know, that extended family. And one being your personal health and well-being, um, i.e., you know, your exercise, your diet, you know, you're um, looking after yourself, you're sleeping well, you know, you're, you're doing things that, you know, renew your energy. Uh, and then you've got to juggle these three glass balls all the time. And how do you feel if you drop one and it's smashed? Like you drop, you, 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 you don't complete your degree and, you know, you've wasted three years or, I don't know, you've neglected your family and your friends or you've neglected yourself. Um, so it's, it's hitting the sweet spot between all three, I think. Um, and you've got to see it that way. Um, and one of the ways I would probably, I, I like to think of it, um, I also like I explain this to coaches. Um, imagine your emotional health and your mental health and well-being as a as the battery on your phone. So, if you have a good night's sleep, you've eaten well, you've exercised well, you've got, you've had a good day, you've got a good day to come. You wake up 100%. You know, and gradually during the day, that's gonna that's gonna drop down, isn't it? You know, you're gonna lose a bit of energy, you get a bit more tired, something will happen in the day or whatever. Um, and um, by the end of the day, you might be on 20%. Um, and then the key thing is to understand what are the things that cause those big energy leaks? What, what causes it to go from 100 to 80 quickly? You know, the things that trigger you, the things that wind you up, or the things that really sort of take, take away your energy. Um, so it's working out what they are and obviously finding strategies to avoid them or mitigate against them or change your mindset once you've got into that sort of, into that place um, and then how quickly if you are at 20% in the day what are the things that you know work well for you to get you back to 100% like for me it might be going out for a walk or going to the gym or um, some like for me there's a David Lloyd around the corner and we look you'll get membership and bizarrely going in the sauna it makes me feel like I'm on holiday because it's actually nice and warm so I just shut my eyes and pretend I'm in like Spain or somewhere 
you know, so whatever it is for you, it could be reading a book, it could be listening to music, it could be whatever. But I think that sort of understanding of what, what creates your energy leaks uh, and how quickly to renew your energy is one of the arts, or one of the key things I think to, to that balance and also making sure you keep those three things in, in balance. It's a real challenge for me personally because, um, you know, personally I can look after myself here, I can get to the gym, I can do whatever, you know, because I'm on my own, I've got time on my hands. Uh, the job I can really commit to because I've got, I've got, you know, time on my hands. Um, but, you know, I want to be a great dad to Sophie and Dan. I want to be a great husband. I want to, you know, see my mum who's on her own in Cumbria. I want to, you know, you want to do all these little things. And it's, a, it's a stressor for me that I can't do it because I don't live in England. I live in Ireland. And everyone will have different, different challenges in that regard. And it's important to understand that that is part of the challenge of life. You know, it's, as Giles said, it's not... It's not easy, but if you, if you flip your mindset, uh, um, it is great as well. You know, I don't, I don't live with any regret over anything I've done. I'm 52 now, and I feel like I'm just getting going. Do you know what I mean? So I don't lie awake at night. Um, and that's why when I put on the, when Giles sent me through this sort of, you know, the podcast um, conversation, he talked about, we talked about mental health. And I, I probably see it like, how's, how's the balance in your life? You know what I mean? And I see it like a seesaw. So you've got this, um, uh, if you imagine on the seesaw and you're, you're at the top, you're, at the top um, you're positive and you're upbeat and, and when you're on the down bit, you're, <laughs> you're a bit flat and, and down and you're constantly on the seesaw and how do you get yourself nice back to balanced or even better on the upside? It's finding the ways that you know, the strategies that will help you get to that place and, 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 and you might need some help to do that. And particularly when you're, younger i think i think sometimes you do need help with that and um going back to the university thing or even the school thing giles you know we have um nurses and we have people we go to when we're sick and poorly but wouldn't it be great if in schools you had someone to look after the, the mental balance of life as well and someone to go and speak to to help them with the challenges because you hear it time and time again now of young people feeling so low that they're they're into depression and, and, and all those sorts of things. And I think it's a real concern because I don't think we had the same challenges when we were the same age. No, it's, you, I walk into my form room every morning and the kids, are, they're, most of them have got their heads in their phones. They're scrolling through Instagram or they're on Snapchat and they're not really having conversations with each other. Um, you know, we, we know we're very fortunate at the school I work at that we do have a number of staff who are on site full time to help the, the kids that are struggling with their mental health. But if I look at the list of kids in the last, well, certainly in the last two years, even the last five years, it's just gone up and up and up. Mm -hmm. And although the challenges, there are a number of, of kids who've got similar challenges, the variety of reasons why it's come about is so varied. You know, it's not just COVID. It's, you know, pressure from exams, pressure at home, just generally feeling like they don't fit into to society because of the perception they have of themselves or perception they, they have on that they get from social media. Um, I think we've, we've talked on another episode about how universities, for example, some universities seem to be pretty good at supporting that process, but actually 
it is not a un it doesn't seem to be a uniform thing across across all across universities and I, I don't think it is across schools as well i think some schools are really good at it of course they are um but to have the opportunity and have full-time staff i think would make a huge difference you know as a form tutor i'd love to be there for all my kids you know i'm a form tutor to 22 pupils and i want to have a relationship and a connection with them that helps them to to feel confident and safe and, and allow them to develop as people and make sure they can be successful in whatever it is they want to do. I get five minutes in the morning. I get 15 minutes at lunchtime. You, you just can't. Yes, you can build a relationship, but how meaningful is it? How impactful is it going to be? Mm. I'm lucky that I get to work with them for, for five years. Um, otherwise, you know, some of them, you might, you might even scratch the surface in that time. Yeah, yeah, no, it is tough, but I, I, I know the success stories from my teaching career are the ones, um, obviously the kids who went on to be super successful because you, you know, they, were, they were destined to go that way, but the ones who were on, on, the, on the wrong path or on a difficult path, um, I remember one, one lad was, uh, helped me coach the year seven rugby team, he was a year 10 at the time, he was, it stopped him from truanting and um, got him back on straight and narrow. And he's now oh, looked on, someone sent me a, a link to him on Facebook and he was like in married Australia, two kids, you know, and you're like, bingo. Um, I'm not saying I was the difference, but you know, you, you, you just, I think you've just got to go above and beyond if you can. Yeah. Uh, and it's exhausting. And that's part of the challenge of being a leader is that it's exhausting trying to manage so many relationships. But, you know, I constantly have to remind myself, shut down the laptop, get on the gym floor, walk around, connect with everyone, physical touch on the shoulder. How you doing? All good? Yeah. Fancy catch up? Give us a shout. You know, let's get a date in the diary. You know, and it's easy to not do that. It's so easy not to do that. Um, and uh, I know certainly when I go back to my time with England, I've tried to create, create a, a window for a one-to-one -one conversation at the start. Um, but perhaps also part of the challenge for me was there were so many other conflicting managerial tasks that needed to be done um, and other relationships that even managed uh, occasionally. Um, you know, I probably didn't, I didn't do that well enough. Um, but, you know, you live and learn and, and that's something I've definitely tried to address at, uh, at Lens. But also by delegating some of the managerial tasks to other people, or, or not delegating at Leinster, but Leo and guys to be take those tasks, it frees me up to, to be a bit more um, connected and uh, present. I think it's a phrase, isn't it? You know, and I think, I think that's important. Yeah, I, I remember reading something not too long ago. The kids, if you can't make eye contact with a kid, if you walk past them, that's what they remember. You know, first thing in the morning, if you don't engage with them and say, oh, good morning, it could break their day because they think, oh, he doesn't like me or she doesn't like me. And when I was came into Leinster, what amazed me is that every morning there's handshakes or fist bumps and there's always that, that eye contact and everybody is interested in, it might only be a, a one second thing, but that connection makes you feel really part of the group and part of the team. Yeah. And that's, I try and bring that into, to, you know, when I see the kids at school, there's a fist bump, there's a hello, a good morning, whatever it might be, because it can make the difference to someone's day, I think. Yeah. Well, there's a great quote, isn't there? You know, but I don't remember what they taught me, um, but I remember how they made me feel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, you, we will, we'll all pick out our favourite teacher from, from back when we were at school um, because it's how they made us feel. Um, and I think if everyone had that same mentality in any walk of life, how you made people feel, you made people feel valued, 
um, that, that you cared about them, um, that you're interested in them. Um, I think a lot of the challenges that everyone's facing, irrespective of whether they're different or the same from 10, 20 years ago, it would help a lot of problems. One of the questions we like to ask people when they come on, Stuart, is, is what habits do you try and advocate? So Max is, is a big eater, always gets his breakfast. I, I make sure I try and get some exercise every day. I know you've talked about a few things there. Is there, is there anything that is, you know, when, when Stuart Lancaster is having a crap day or a good day, what, what are your go-to habits that you need every day? Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say definitely um, exercise. Uh, so I think feeling good internally um, definitely helps. Um, you, you often forget about the problem you're having because <laughs> you know, you're running on a treadmill or something. Um, uh, we, we've got uh, two dogs at home and it's amazing how a dog walk can suddenly, you know, or just a walk, you know, can, get to, can take uh, stresses away and your mind starts to drift a bit and, you know, takes you away from maybe what you're thinking at the time. Um, listening to podcasts um, for me um, going on a walk listening to podcasts um, reading a book not a fiction book I'm, I'm like more more into um, you know leadership books or books on people who've succeeded or, or people who, who have got, who, who have been in challenging situations and achieved success or failure. I mean, I quite enjoy reading books on like surgeons or, you know, people in the armed forces or whatever, you know, anything like that um, is, is definitely, definitely helps me. Um, I think a lot depends on your personality. Like um, I tend to like to think problems through. Um, and my wife, I'm sure she won't mind me saying it, you know, she would like, she likes to talk things through. Um, and so it's, 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 it's what suits you, you know, like, I, so if I've got a challenge, you probably won't get a lot out of me. I'll be thinking it through and then I'll probably in my own time share it. And it's understanding that part of someone's personality, not to try and push too hard too early. Um, yeah, they're the main, they're the main ones for me. Um, generally I'm a optimistic can do kind of person. Um, so I tend to look for the upside in events. Um, and I think that's a mindset thing as well. Um, I do think that you can, uh, you can flip the negative into a positive if you really try. It's not easy for some people. I understand that, you know, I'm not saying it is, but, um, I've always been like that really. Um, I think that helps. Yeah. I think that mindset's huge. I think, um, you see all the time, as you're saying with those high performing people, surgeons, <clears throat> people in the army, rugby coach, kind of people in elite areas. In I listen to the high performance podcast quite a lot, and throughout all of their episodes, they've got you name it, they've had it on their kind of Olympians, everyone who's played in kind of high performance arena. From what I've listened to, all they say is literally work hard. It's like 80% work hard. Is that do you do you back that? Do you kind of what do you think? If you really, really want something, you really want to achieve it, get it done, what is it just hard work or is there other things to it? I think, I think um, to achieve, it depends what you define success as, but to achieve, to achieve in life, it has kind to be achieve what you want really. Yeah. You have to work. Um, mm -hmm. I, do, I do. I do. I don't think, I don't think it, 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 it no one's going to hand it to you on a plate. 
you know, you have to go out. Funny enough, I've got this talk coming up. Uh, I'm going back to Leeds Beckett next week to do a talk to the sports coaches. Um, and what advice would I give? And I've got like my top 10 and things. And I actually did it today. Um, and one of my points was you have to go out and make it happen. You know, carpe diem, seize the day. You know, you have to, you have to do that. Um, it's so easy to sit there and wait for it to happen. And I think sometimes, um, you know, whether it's my, my generation were different or not, I don't know. I think we just had to, because you didn't have the access to the internet, you couldn't just like Google something and go and make it happen. You had to just go out and physically do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, no mobile phones, you know, I didn't have a mobile phone until I was 30. Um, so like as, a, as an 18 year old, we were laughing about it the other day. You know, we went to 19, first year after, after my first year of uni, we did uh, Work America, we flew to San Diego, didn't know anyone, <laughs> had a map. <laughs> the dream. Managed, 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 managed to get a job at SeaWorld, didn't have anywhere to stay, drove across America, ended up in Miami, and then, you know, occasionally wrote a letter home. Um, Unreal. You know, so it was, you know, you just had to do it. But, but there's, there's definitely, uh, on, on my sort of talk next week, you know, you have to go out and, 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 and make it happen. You know, it's not going to come to you. So what do I think people, my advice would be build, build a, a network, be proactive, build a network, you know, build a network of people who, who I never used to like the word networking. because I always thought it was a bit like, uh, oh, I'm just trying to climb up the, the ladder here, you know, but it's not that at all. It's actually just building um, connections with people who can help you get better or improve or give you an opportunity to do something. Um, and, I, and I've got like uh, 18,000 connections on LinkedIn. Um, why? Because I give everything I learn away and I say, anyone who wants to connect on LinkedIn, you've got access to all this free stuff. So Max, you can stick your name on that. Um, I'll do it. <laughs> but, but anyone who's listening, you know, because... Because you know who's to know that who's to know that that connection might not lead to another connection or whatever. Or like what you're doing is brilliant. Um, you know to actually proactively set up a podcast, and whether a hundred people listen to it, a thousand people listen to it, ten thousand, you know, a hundred thousand. Um, the process of you doing that, you know, we've now connected um, through Giles. You've met other people. You know, you built. You know, it's just such a good thing to do. And a lot of people would sit there and wait for it to happen, but you've actually gonna made it happen. So credit to you really. Um, so I think, I think that, that ability to, to build a network, to be proactive, to create connections, to go and meet people. And as, as your circle, so let's say your circle of friends is from school, quite small, now you've gone to uni, you've got a, a bigger circle. Then you get into 21, 22, 23 years old and you start getting a job and you, whatever, you know, that, that, then it, it grows again. But you can be proactive in doing that. And I was always very eager to learn and not pestering people, but I would be like, any chance I could pop around and see how you guys operate, you know, or would you mind if I could have a Zoom call with you? Well, it wasn't a Zoom call then, a call with you, you know, um, to, to learn about how you do coaching or whatever it was. Um, so I think, I think that's really, really important to be proactive. And I think, one thing I've learned about life is if you sit and wait for it to happen, then it often doesn't. So you have to make it happen. You have to go out there 
create experiences, create memories, um, and uh, and you get it back in space, really, you know. Um, it, and if you give something to people as well, you often get it back as well. I think it's the other thing I'd say, you know, be be generous with what you're offering other people. I uh, I've almost left speechless by some of that, Stuart. That's been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. I mean, I feel like we could keep going for absolutely hours. This, I've got pages and pages of notes and questions and that sort of thing. Um, you've always been so incredibly generous with your time in all the time that I've known you. Get back on an email or you know a text or whatever it might be. I can't thank you enough again for for coming on and you know for actually taking the time to listen to the podcast as well. I was saying to Max when you when we spoke on the phone it was amazing to hear you saying oh well you said this and you said that and i'm thinking shit he's actually listened to this <laughs> no no i mean i mean i get asked to go uh, on a few and, and i've done I, I try and do as many as i can but there comes a point as well where i've had to say no to quite a few people because you know i don't i don't really want to go through the same you know world cup story and everything else and i know this was slightly different but that was why i was keen to help you guys out because i think i am uh not concerned, but I am. Uh, I want to try and help, particularly the younger generation, navigate this tricky period. Mm. Um, and um, and I'm and when I say the tricky period, I'm talking about the COVID thing, um, the transition from school to university, or school to life, generally, uh, and some of the challenges that that happen. And um, if there's any, if there's one thing I've said. That someone listening to this who thinks grabs onto it whether it's the the seesaw or the battery or the whatever else it's been we've talked about um i don't know is there anything else max that st strikes you and obviously i'm conscious like so you're you're the age of my son and daughter is there anything else that you think um that are challenges for people your age um i think it literally is just that connections with people um, social media, I think I'm our generation, well, my generation just escaped it. I think I was three or four years away from it. I think the guys now who are in year nine, year 10, the whole social media thing feeding itself there is way worse than it was in my year. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I'd probably well, what, just what, say. What, sorry, just on that, then, what challenges do you think um, that they're facing? Is it like the perception that you have to have? certain number of likes on instagram to be popular that yeah and also the the people that i think um people of that age follow there's just this uh kind of future reality which just isn't attainable at all it's just it's just a false reality where it isn't what people live it's everyone makes themselves look way better than their life actually is yeah. um and i'm talking about famous people here kind of think people role models that they look up to they probably yeah. won't in another five years but um yeah i'd probably just say to say that for that generation um but what about yours the, 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 like you, how old are you now 21 yeah so the sort of left school a couple of years ago going through university or getting into into life you know into jobs and stuff i think it'll probably be the social interaction um people my age we've not really liked this kind of thing you've not connected with people who are of another generation you've not been to lectures you've not just sat next to someone and be like what's your crack kind of thing because mm. it's all been online um so yeah. when we get chucked into that social world of work in london kind of wherever you go i think a lot of people are going to be like oh what the hell do i do right now yeah. um so probably that social interaction 
yeah. I think I think yeah I think my, my advice there would be be yourself be 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 positive you know um, create the conversation and hold the conversation you know hold the conversation yeah I think that I think that holding it's really difficult yeah and ask good questions people, people struggle yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I agree. That's that's my point. Is that I think yeah. attention spans and um, other distractions. You getting back to your phone or you know whatever. You know you have to park all that and really fully engage. And if you do, that's the true value that you get in life. You know we have those not just deep conversations, good conversations, but good experiences together. You know what I mean? Where you're laughing and joking and whatever, you know, and it, it does happen and it builds and, um, but you have to, you have to give to get back. It doesn't, it doesn't just work one way. That'd be my advice. Which is, which again, that. again, credit to you, you've done here. So well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Cool. Right. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm still, I'm rocked. <laughs> I, a lot's I just, gone on <laughs> yeah a lot's gone on I, uh, um, it's been a pleasure as always Stuart it always is um, thank you again uh, for taking up you know giving up your time and uh, I think you said if, it, if, if there's two people that get something out of it one person it, it doesn't matter you know there's some important conversations going on here and some of the advice I, the, the thing I'm going to take the most is that that three glass balls yeah. I know I've I've that balance is you know getting that balance right is something i've really struggled with in the last 10 years particularly so i think i think the the other one don't forget the sumo one yeah should not move on you can't you can't things thing you there won't be one person ever that won't fail at something do you know what i mean and um the important thing is is to learn from the failure and then sumo what did i learn what could i do better what would do differently next time sumo should up move on because you can't drag it around because it'll drive you insane. Mm. I actually, before we came on, I went through my notes that I made when I came over to Leinster and that's one of the first things that, that I've got written down. I came into the review that morning and I think you'd, I think you'd just lost and you knew you had Cardiff coming up on two weekends or three weekends in a row. And that's, yeah, that, that sumo is, it's so powerful. I'd completely forgotten about it typically, but <laughs> I'm going to get it on my wall now. I think I can go on my hand. <laughs> Go on my hand next to OCY, Max. <laughs> um, right, we're going to sign off, if that's okay. Uh, as I said, we could, I'm sure we could carry on for, for at least a, another hour or so. Um, but I appreciate, you know, Stuart, you've got an early flight tomorrow to Bath. Um, the very best of luck this weekend. You, you need, you need, you need, we need to win. We need to win. Need need to win. win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we need to win. Um, we had that cancellation, so, but... Um, no, I know, obviously, I know Bath well, I know the team well, I know the coach as well. So um, it's not going to be easy at the wreck. The last game they played, they beat Worcester. So they've got yeah. off the mark now. And But we'll see. We've got that. And then, um, yeah, more, more games coming up. So looking forward to it. Great. The very best of luck. And thank you once again to uh, for coming on. Um, if anybody's heard anything that they want to get in touch about, uh, please hit us up on Instagram at the dot connections podcast. And uh, Max, Best of luck with your exam, ongoing exam for uh, Cheers, tomorrow and everything that's coming up next week. And thanks to all our listeners, as always. Cheers. <laughs>